Hi, y'all. It's Brendan Witted again as your host, and this is part two of the Politics Aside episode on the That's Black Male Podcast Network with D.C. litigator Edward Williams II and Florida prosecutor Adrian Moo. We ask that you follow, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're consuming the podcast. All right, let's finish out the show. You, you rolled me right into it, Moo, so I'll, I'll, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, Supreme Court uh, has struck down Louisiana law regulating abortion clinics, re- uh, reasserting a commitment to abortion rights um, and uh, a lot of opposition from dissenting conservative justices uh, in the first big abortion case uh, of the uh, President Trump's era. And so just right back at you, are you surprised about the decision? And has the court kind of turned out the way, you know, with some of these recent rulings with the way that you would have uh, that you would have guessed. No, I am not surprised at the decision because they tried a similar set of facts very recently, I think four years ago. And the only thing that has changed is the composition of the court. And John Roberts is noted to be uh, extremely concerned with the image of the court not being a partisan uh, entity institution. And, you know, to have the exact same, I think it was from Texas, uh, where this came up before. And what we're seeing is, okay, we got the same set of things with admitting privileges to hospitals and abortion doctors uh, having to have uh, admitting privileges at the local hospital um, in order to practice, you know, perform abortions. When they had the exact same set of facts before. And they said that, no, they struck that down. So basically this was a political play to see if the change in composition would lead to a different result. And I think Roberts, realize like this is going to really i mean this is going to damage the integrity of the court history will judge the court you know because it's gonna be called the roberts court because he is chief justice and he's concerned about that uh but notably uh he thought the texas case was decided wrongly and mentioned as much so he's respecting precedent and i think that's the only thing that that that's saving this and i think he will is happy to sign on board to other erosions of women's right to choose what to do with their bodies uh, in other uh, clever ways that Republican states have rolled out these measures because abortions are overwhelmingly very safe procedures. Admitting privileges has nothing to do with women's safety. It is a complete political play. And I think uh, in Louisiana, where this latest case came up from, they were down to three abortion clinics for the entire state. If this law had gone into effect, um, it would have reduced it down to one. So that's what they're doing. That's the whole purpose of what they're doing. And so, no, I'm not surprised in the result. I think that this really underlines the stakes of this election. Um, there, you're now seeing rumors about, uh, I think, Alito maybe thinking about retiring. Um, so, you know, the stakes are big because we've got RBG, the rumors of uh, Alito talking about retiring, like to really shape the court at stake in 2020. So, you know, it's real. It's real. And the consequences are real for people. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, your rights are on the ballot. Democracy is on the ballot in 2020. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Chief Justice Roberts joined the four liberals in a concurrent. So there are a couple of things that are just kind of inside baseball stuff to, you know, make sure that listeners have a view on. <clears throat> so when the Supreme Court decides a case, you know, we know that you need five votes to win. Right. So, you know, it's a nine person uh, court. But the way you get to five actually matters, right? So in this case, we had 
a four one, basically call it a four, right? So the four liberals, Sotomayor, Kagan, Breyer, RBG, uh, wrote an opinion that said this was absolutely egregious for the same reasons that it was egregious in Texas. Um, the, the a woman's right to choose is enshrined in the Constitution as a part of their substantive due process right to privacy. Um, you know, as Moot was saying, abortions are incredibly safe. And, and, and acting to intentionally limit a woman's ability to, to seek one is, you know, unconstitutional and problematic. So Chief Justice Roberts joins them in the decision, but not in their opinion at all. And he writes what's called a concurrence. And the way Supreme Court law works is that whoever wrote the narrowest opinion, whoever, whoever had the, 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 you know, tightest way of getting to yes, um, that's who controls. So the law right now is what the chief justice wrote. And what he wrote was, I agree with everything the conservative justice said, but we just had this case four years ago and we can't flip flop that quickly. And so uh, Chief Justice Roberts is masterful at laying breadcrumbs for future destruction of cases. This is what he did in the voting rights context. Hmm. He laid a trap about two or three years before in a previous case and then Shelby County comes up and it's exactly the right time for him to strike. He says, look, I wrote this case two or three years ago and, and, this is, and it had all the reasoning that I needed to apply to win. And now I'm here we are um, and, the, and the Voting Rights Act uh, or the provisions of it that matter the most, the pre-clearance provisions um, are no longer constitutional. Uh, and so he's doing the same thing on abortion. Like the, the chief is hostile to a woman's right to choose. His decision to join the liberals here does not change that. He will, at some point, I think, vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. He just thinks you can't do it the way they tried to do it this time. And, and he's good for writing this far and no further opinions, where he says, he says, this is the bar, you know, this is the line. So, you know, in the Louisiana statute, as Lou was saying, you had to have uh, a doctor who was administering an abortion which we should be relatively clear about what that means. Most of the time that means giving a woman a pill to take at home. Like uh, administering an abortion is not the um, cut a woman open and take the fetus out vision that conservatives have conjured in the minds of people most of the time. There are certainly circumstances in which that may be necessary, but for the most part, um, the procedure is you know a pill taken in an office or at home um, and you know, otherwise uh, is, is completely safe. And so the idea that you have to have the ability to go to a hospital as the doctor, even though you're just handing a woman a pill is kind of a, a weird uh, uh, approach. And it's weird because it's intentionally designed to limit the number of doctors who can perform abortions, right? Um, and so there are a number of these laws. This is not the, first, this is not the last case. There are, you know, there are a pipeline of these abortion cases um, coming through. From uh, you know, basically, conservative states, conservative attorneys general, and, and legislatures got together and basically mapped out their roadmap here. So if they were able, you know, if they had won in the Louisiana case, it would have been almost too easy. But they have, you know, five, ten, fifteen cases coming down the pipe. Um, the chief will not be joining the liberals uh, in the future. So you know, kind of back to Moon's point, if you want women to have the ability to make a decision about what to do with their own bodies. Um, if you want to ensure that, you know, if you have a daughter or a sister or aunt or auntie uh, or, you know, someone who is able to give birth um, and that person 
you know, to, you know, is in a situation where they are, you know, raped and become pregnant or otherwise, uh, you know, for some reason engage in a, you know, have a pregnancy that they don't want um, and don't want the responsibility of raising a child for, uh, then, you know, you have to vote for Joe Biden, who may be underwhelming for a number of reasons as your candidate. But, you know, the Supreme Court and this issue is, I mean, this is one of those, who wins this election will determine whether or not there are abortions in the United States in three years. Like, this is not even a, this is like a, this is a, this is a, a switch flipping, you know, exercise, right? Like, if you do not, if, if Trump wins, there will not be the ability to have a legal abortion in, you know, sometime in the next term. That's not, it's not really a close call. And so, um, you know, this is an issue that should be the top of mind, not just for women. I mean, obviously it's top of mind for women because, you know, they don't need or deserve to have men tell them what to do with their bodies, but it should be top of mind for men. I mean, you know, I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but I have like talked to plenty of men uh, who got women pregnant unexpectedly or accidentally. I mean, you know, they intended the act but not the not the results. What do you know? mean, Ed? Ex- explain more about this. <laughs> I was just like, you know, you know, maybe they didn't mean to pull out, but they didn't mean for her to get pregnant. Pull right? out the trash. <laughs> so just, I'm just saying. But but I've also but I've talked I've counseled plenty of men who have been who for whom I think the decision about whether or not to go for it with a child is is actually incredibly difficult for men too. It's not just difficult for women, right? Like there are plenty like there. Are of men um, who have a really hard time when that happens with deciding whether or not um, they're ready and, you know, financially, mentally, psychologically, otherwise, you know, um, to rear a child. And I think it's a it's the type of decision that should be made between those two people, right? Between the two people who are bringing the child into the world. Um, and if you believe that, then you can't possibly want uh, for us to go forward the way we are headed uh, if Trump gets reelected. I mean, I, I think it's a, you know, it's a decision to be made by by people who are having to make the hard decision. Yeah, and all I'll say to echo that is, you know, it's a incredibly hard decision. I don't think anybody goes, yay, I'm going to get an abortion. They're not using it as contraception. It's a privacy concern. It, it's an, it, a very intimate private decision that should be left up to a woman. And, uh, you know, we need to get these uh, white men on the court need to step out of the uh, decision making process on that. I'll just say this, uh, when, when it's come to abortion, it's a very serious decision, obviously, but uh, I just remember my father, <clears throat> who's significantly older, um, when he talked about somebody had gotten pregnant in his neighborhood and just really didn't want it and didn't either have access to it, or I can't remember exactly what the time frame was about how, how legal or illegal it was, but ended up doing it themselves and dying. Um, yeah. And so... Yeah people are going to find ways out of this situation regardless. It's pretty much the, the moral of the story. Um, and they need to be able to do it in the safest way possible. And that's how I've always thought of it. I don't think that, like you guys have mentioned, I don't think anybody goes into this sort of thing lightly. Um, I, I think that that's kind of the, the straw man that kind of gets put out there on, on the yeah. side of, of, of the quote-unquote pro-life. Uh, who did a really good job of branding, by the way. Pro life is oh. like that's a that's a solid brand. Pro life until to, born. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Who wants to be against that? By the way, I saw uh, my my body, my choice uh, chant uh, from a group of people that wanted to not to have to wear masks, and I just <laughs> the irony there was. It, I mean, it was. I, I was yeah, like, man, yeah, you yeah. guys are uh, y'all. Y'all are really trying to right the now. The Venn also, diagram for yeah. pro life anti mask people is a circle. 
It's a circle. Yeah. <laughs> and also do your own homework, guys. Stop copying on my paper and just bring it. Stop, stop. Control C, Control V. All right, guys, we're ready for the protest. Come on, man. Just five right. minutes right. worth of thought. That's all I'm saying. Just a little more creative. Just somebody. But uh, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll get out on, on this last topic and and I'll I'll kind of clear out for you guys. Um, because we talked about a little bit about this. Um, with some of the stories that have come up in the in the present Trump era. And they just seem to get bigger and bigger. And this, I don't know if it's the biggest one, because honest to goodness, I, I'd have to really go back through all the ones that at the time I thought was the biggest head exploding one. But I, I, I'll start with you, Mood, and then we'll, we'll, y'all can figure it out. Um, so there was a recent report that suggested that Russians offered the Taliban money to kill the American military. So that's the first part of it, which is um, obvious, obviously concerning. Uh, but the second part, it has to deal with the response um, once this, I think it was a New York Times report, uh, kind of came to light about there's just, I, I won't even say what happened because I honestly don't know. There have been a number of reports since about whether or not President Trump knew, whether or not he knew and did nothing, um, whether or not people are actively deciding his, his, uh, not constituents, excuse me, his um, council around him is actively deciding not to tell him bad news i guess um so i'll start with you mood about just this entire story and just kind of where we are with this presidency with stories like this yeah so uh i think i want to start with where white house press secretary kaylee McEnany started and say that the president reads <laughs> you know the president reads uh we really you know need to shout out lavar burden and reading rainbow because uh, the bar has been set so low for this man, right? Because yep. there are rumors or, or, or stories circulating, uh, just starting at the most basic level. Uh, the president gets a daily briefing, right? Every day about sensitive intelligence matters, the hot topics of the day. And, you know, they get briefed on these different intelligence subjects. Uh, notably, we have found reporting that the president has a very short attention span and that they were literally curating the uh, PDB, the presidential daily briefing to include his name as often as possible to keep him tuned in and including as many pictures and videos as possible because his attention span is so short and he doesn't like to read um, so much. So, and it's so commonly known that he doesn't like to read that Kaylee McEnany actually had to say the president reads. Um, Moving to why this is important, uh, we're getting reporting from the New York Times that uh, American soldiers were being targeted by the Taliban in Afghanistan and Russia, uh, the GRU, a spy unit in Russia, uh, was uh, offering bounties up to, uh, to, to accomplish this. And there's become, it's no longer just a, you know, a little rumor anymore because we're hearing from uh, Navy SEALs that during a uh, operation, $500,000 worth of cash was found with this person who then told them like, oh, this is the, this is the bounty money, right? Uh, so we're seeing some, you know, enough so that Republicans are getting concerned, right? You know, Susan Collins is clutching her pearls per usual and is very concerned. Um, so we see, have a very serious, you know, situation where Trump is like lobbying for, uh, Russia to get back into the G7, which is the, you know, the most powerful countries or, you know, the most powerful countries in the world. And at the same time, Russia and Putin are out here offering up uh, money to kill American soldiers. A big no-no, right? A big no-no. And 
we've gone through time and time again, like why in the world, what is it that causes Donald Trump to have such an affinity or almost, you know, so much deference for Vladimir Putin, who just, you know, ensured had some sort of mock referendum to ensure he stays in power until 2036. Um, Why does he have an affinity for dictators, but particularly Vladimir Putin? And, you know, it, it begs the question, what is in his finances? What do they know about him? Because this, any other normal American president would be outraged that there is actionable intelligence that suggests Russians are paying the Taliban to kill American soldiers. And what was being done to protect our soldiers, right? That are out in harm's way and Trump claims to love the military so much. Uh, And the excuse coming out of the White House at first was, well, he wasn't briefed on it. Uh, But then the New York Times comes out with more reporting saying, oh, it was in the briefing back in like February. Like, it's bad when the reporting gets the month it was in. And then it was, oh, they didn't want to tell him about it because it was bad news, which is believable. You know, I can believe people are nervous about giving the president bad news. Uh, You know, we hear about the news stories about his campaign manager, Brad Parscale, giving him bad news and, like, worrying about his job immediately thereafter. Um, So it's, it's incredibly problematic because we're seeing, again, like the Lincoln Project keeps doing is, Trump's unfitness connected to an actual problem, right? Trump doesn't read. Trump doesn't take intelligence briefings seriously. Oh, he's putting American soldiers' boots on the ground at risk because he won't do his job. And that's the big thing. You know, while I started off with the jokes about him reading and stuff, it really builds to a very serious, consequential thing that American voters have to be thinking about. And this White House has not addressed in any way, shape, or form. And they're just, I mean, it's, it's, it's inexcusable and it's just, you know, you almost want to laugh to keep from crying how sad a state of affairs it is that the White House practice secretary actually has to say about an American president that he reads. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I grew up in Savannah and, and, and B, as you know, and, um, you know, in the center of the city of Savannah, it's Hunter Army Airfield. Um, and so, I, it, you know, hundreds, thousands of military families, um, are kind of a, a big part of the population of Savannah. So I, you know, I went to school with lots of kids who were military brats, um, and you know, watched lots of their, you know, dads go off to war in 2001 and you know after the um, after 9/11. And so you know, for me, it's like it's like watch is like thinking about like my neighbor's dad, right? Like being in Afghanistan or being at war. Um, and having a hit out on them, like um, more than usual, right? Like there's, you know, you're in a field of war, there are enemy combatants, there are always people trying to kill you, but you have a like specific hit out on like specific forces in or units in uh, Afghanistan. Um, and the commander in chief knows this, but because it's being done by one of his buddies, um, either he's not told because nobody wants to tell him that his friend is, you know, actually playing him. Um, or he does know and doesn't want to do anything about it because he doesn't want to upset his friend. I mean, either those are the only two real possibilities right now. Um, you know, we do not send our men and women, our mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and cousins to war to have the commander in chief ignore this type of actual intelligence, right? Like we don't put our friends and family in harm's way for the president 
to the side that if they get killed by Vladimir Putin, it's okay, right? And um, and I think that I hope I really and, and, and you know military is military is historically known for being kind of like Republican leaning or conservative leaning as a as a like constituency. I really really hope um, that those mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles who are here who are in the states and the ones who are at war still um i hope this is top of mind for them i hope they're i hope they're thinking like you know i don't you know maybe i'm a republican maybe i'm an economic conservative maybe i'm a social conservative maybe i don't really believe in you know abortion rights and lgbt rights and all that stuff but i do believe in my own self-preservation and the preservation of my family and i know that if i let this guy sit in that seat for another four years that Russia will continue to have its way um, and it will continue to not. And it's not just that Russia put out a hit on our soldiers. It's that they're triangulating um, in a particularly uh, in a particularly problematic way. You all will recall that just before this, we were in negotiations with the Taliban right. about how to get out of Afghanistan. So how do you poison the well to make sure that no agreement can come out of it? You pay the Taliban, the same entity we try to negotiate with not to uh, or to kill uh, american soldiers because then who can reach a deal with them how can Amer how can an american president reach a deal with a force that's being paid to kill their soldiers and so this is what like, vladimir putin is um you know he's a former you know uh, kgb which is which is our equivalent of the cia right. he is playing us like this is not like he like he's playing chess all the time um and it's not he didn't just decide like you know, today is a good day to kill some American soldiers. It was intentional to continue to destabilize a region that we've had a really, really hard time trying to stabilize. Um, and, you know, we are, you know, all of us were of age when 9-11 happened and probably had friends and family who went out, who went off to war just shortly after we graduated from high school. Um, we've been at, you know, that was a long time ago now, right? Like that was like 15 years ago. Yeah. We're still there. And so the question is, you know, are we going to be there for another 15 years? And and if we don't get some handle on that and, you know, by getting someone in the White House who takes this type of stuff, at the, I mean, this is the easy, this is the easy thing to take seriously, you know, um, then we're going to be there for another 15 years. Um, and personally, I'm not playing the sanity of my children off to war in the Middle East for a war that started 15 years ago. Right. And uh, and so I, I, I hope that people are paying attention. You know, the president uh, has been very clear about who he is. He's someone who supports dictators and fascists. You know, he's, he, he's never met a dictator he didn't like, you know, and, and Vladimir Putin is one of the most effective dictators in the world. Um, so, you know, that's where we are. And, and then we'll, you know. Hopefully America is paying attention enough to remember this in November. You know, he's going to do a lot of crazy stuff between now and then. And that's actually the problem. Like, it's hard to keep up. You know, like, you know, he, he's letting hundreds of thousands of Americans die at home of coronavirus. He's letting our soldiers in Afghanistan have hits out on them. He is otherwise, like, golfing every weekend. I mean, like, you know, pick, like, pick a catastrophe, right? Like, pick a problem. Um, and, and that's his strategy, right? Like, keep us so overwhelmed by everything that we can't focus on anything and unfortunately that's kind of effective yeah this is a particularly crazy story because you're you're talking about like like you mentioned usually the military is a little bit more conservative leaning in, in the way that they the way that they vote and so it's um 
especially for a guy that has made so much there, there's been a ton of bluster about how he supports troops and, and just generally in America, we do that without actually giving them the tools to reincorporate back into society, uh, um, underfunding the VA. Like there's in all the real ways that America should support the troops. Uh, it's oftentimes pure lip service, but I, I don't remember the, the uh, detachment between the two as large as it, as it seems now. Um, I'm going to, we're gonna try to do this this first time because this I, I text you guys about this and I kind of forgot to follow up. So if you have something cool, if not, and you know we're gonna start something called closing arguments. See how clever I am once again. Boom. <laughs> um, because I'm here sitting here with with two attorneys. So I do either one of y'all have this, or, or or maybe I'm just maybe I'm just uh, uh uh you know previewing it depending on whether or not you actually have something. But but do either y'all have any like kind of parting. Uh, words that that uh, you'd like to throw out there about something that you've seen or read recently. Uh, I'll start with uh, you, uh, Ed. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think I have anything particularly uh, novel, right? I just, I, I just want to go back to my previous point. I want people to take the coronavirus seriously. Like, you know, I'm watching it. I'm, I'm now having to unfortunately watch my family deal with it. I think everyone's going to be fine. I'm prayerful about that. But, um, but look we don't have a plan to do better than we're doing, right? And what that means is there's just going to be exponential growth. So we were 50,000 yesterday. We're going to be more than 50,000 today. And we're going to be more than 50, whatever plus thousand. You know, Dr. Fauci this week said, we, there is a world and not a particularly far away one where we get to 100,000 cases a day, right? Um, that means if 100,000 people a day are getting the virus, uh, that there, you will not be able to throw a rock and not hit someone who has it or is one degree of separation for someone who does. Um, so look, if you, you know, wear masks, I mean, obviously, but, you know, social distance, don't go to the parties, don't go to the beach, you know, unless you can socially distance on the beach, right? Just take care of yourself. And I think Black men in particular, Black folk, right? Um, the way this disease has been attacking us has been very different. It's, it's, you know, there are people who don't get fevers and don't really get the coughs, but next thing you know, they are like having seizures or unable to breathe. And so, um, you know, just because of the way it shows up in on CNN and on, on national media, it has been showing up people the way you were talking about it. Um, it may not show up that way for you. It doesn't mean that you're not impacted. And we also don't have any idea about the long-term impacts of this thing, right? Like there are all these kind of post-coronavirus syndrome issues now, long-term damage to lungs and heart and, and, and brain uh, issues. So, you know, I just want to take it seriously. Um, let's, you know, let's try to, if you, we, we can't do anything about the fact that our government is failing us, um, but we can do something about what we do. And, and so this is a time for kind of intense personal responsibility, which is not kind of a, a, a capital D democratic principle, right? Like I'm a communitarian. I believe in kind of the collective good and doing collective good. But this is one of those times where that is failing us. Like our government just is failing. And so I hope people really take it seriously and, and get uh, and get serious about, you know, making sure that we can do whatever we can to protect at least the people we love and care about. Uh, and where can they find you? Where can listeners find uh, uh, you on social media? Uh, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Edward Williams, too. And Mood, do you have a closing argument for me or or where and where can people find you? Uh, yeah, you can find me at on Twitter at at M-O-O-D-E-S-Q. Um, and my closing argument is this, get registered to vote, find out where your voting precinct is, 
like we talked about, your rights are on the ballot. Democracy is on the ballot in 2020. And I know there is going to be, in addition to a pandemic, ongoing pandemic, um, there are going to be monumental efforts to depress and suppress the vote. We have to do what we ever uh, we have to, as in words Ed has used before, to overwhelm the system. We have to take things back and we need to issue Trump and the GOP such a massive defeat that they get the point that never again can this happen. Um, and it's going to be hard. And I'm going to do something I've never done before, which is I'm going to be out there in the streets registering voters, right? Because it's that serious. We, get, we do not want to be here on November 4th saying, well, what happened? And now there's there's talking that you know with mail-in vote voting that we won't know immediately thereafter, but you get the point. You do not want to be here after this election thinking, well, what if I had done more? Well, what if I had called people and got them registered to vote or gave them rise to the polls? We do not want to be in that situation where Roe v. Wade is gone because Trump got reelected and RBG just can't hold on anymore. Um, we don't want to wake up in that tomorrow. So we have to do everything we can. And black people, I know it's hard, right? I know it's hard. I know they're gonna, you're going to have to wait in some ridiculous lines, and that should not be acceptable in this country. But we live in the realities of now. We have to take political power to change those things. So do whatever it is to register your friends, your families, your Facebook followers. There are a bevy of resources out there, and I'm sure we'll talk about them some more as time goes on. Um, but yeah, get registered to vote and know where to vote, where and how to vote. Well said. Uh, you can catch my written work at hucosell.com. That's H-U-C-O-S-E-L-L.com. And then Instagram and Twitter is the same at hucosell. Gentlemen, I appreciate it. You guys stay safe and we will get together again soon. All right. Sounds good. All right. One.